0: Do you like birds? Do you like knowledge? Well, my friend, you find yourself in the right place. Welcome to Blurbs, a podcast about birds. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Matt, bird enthusiast from New Zealand. Let's get into it. I was exploring a local wetland area when I was surprised by a bird standing in a clearing between shrubs. I didn't know what this bird was, and even being a quote-unquote little brown bird, I knew I hadn't seen this particular type before. Just as quickly as these thoughts raced through my mind, the bird had rocketed off into the nearby foliage. I waited a while, standing a little distance away, but it didn't come out again. When I got home, I looked through some bird guides to see what it possibly could have been. And there it was, a fern bird, moldy name Tata. I am almost certain that what I encountered that day was a fern bird. Based on its brief appearance, and that I haven't seen it again on subsequent visits to that wetland, I am not surprised now to know that it is regarded as a cryptic wetland species with most of its activity taking place within the cover of thick vegetation, such as reeds, scrub, and maybe not surprisingly, ferns. A more often heard than seen kind of deal. So what else do we know about the fern bird? Well, it's a species that is endemic to New Zealand, and I know all the species I've done episodes on so far have been endemic, aka only found in New Zealand. Maybe I should have called this podcast NZ Blurbs. But honestly, it's because I love the birds of my home country so much. I will definitely expand to birds in other places around the world eventually. But for now, bear with me as we get through some gems of New Zealand. Fernbirds are generally golden brown in colour, with black streaks on the upper parts, and a white front with black spotting. Measuring in... At about 15 to 18 centimeters long. They are insectivores who primarily forage on the ground, with pelvis and hind limbs specialized for moving vegetation and litter. They are weak flyers, generally only fluttering for a few meters at a time, staying close to vegetation. A flight of more than a hundred meters would be extremely difficult for most fern birds. Adult males and females? alongside juveniles, all look alike, but they are distinguished from other little brown birds by a tail as long as their body. This tail is comprised of 10 retroces aka tail feathers. The feathers often become frayed over a firm bird's life, giving a spiky appearance. The length of the tail is actually the best way to determine a fern bird's age after fledging. Newly-fledged firm birds have short squared tails that lengthen as they get older. It is also possible, however, for a recently moulted adult fernbird to temporarily have a similarly short tail. The main contact call between male and female pairs is described as ewe tick, which is often given with the male calling the ewe and the female calling back with the tick. When this behaviour occurs in birds, it is called duetting. In this case, more specifically, antiphonal duetting, due to the alternating parts for the male and female. There are five subspecies, the North Island, South Island, Stewart Island, Codfish Island and Snares Island fernbirds. birds. There was also a Chatham Island fernbird, bird, but this went extinct around 1900. The Chatham Island firm bird was actually recognised as a distinct species. It had unique features compared to the other firm birds, having white, unspotted underparts, being larger, particularly in relation to the pelvis and hind limbs, but having smaller wings. A paper I read detailed how the first Chatham Island fernbird was collected by Europeans in 1868 with a quote well aimed stone you gotta be impressed with that aim but man that poor fern bird so subspecies versus species what's the deal here well I direct you to the science of birds podcast episode titled what is a species really because there is no simple answer some points are still contentious within the scientific community. However, for today, we will say that species are distinct populations that cannot interbreed, whereas subspecies, although usually geographically isolated populations, i.e., stuck on different islands, could potentially breed if put together. So we're saying that, although it wouldn't happen naturally in the wild, a North Island fernbird. Could breed with a codfish island fernbird, for instance. But if a Chatham Island fernbird was still around today, it wouldn't be able to breed with anything other than another Chatham Island fernbird. Although from the same common ancestor, the Chatham Island fernbird had evolved far enough apart that it was thought to have reached the level of a full species. Fernbirds are highly territorial, but are generally shy and secretive in nature. However, the Snares Island subspecies has been reported as indifferent to close observation, being able to be followed at distances of less than 5 metres. This difference in behaviour may be due to the lack of mammalian predators on Snares Island, so a cautious disposition may not have developed as it has in other subspecies who do have to contend with such predators. This is just my speculation, however. Later, we will have a short portion of this podcast dedicated to the Snares Island fernbird, because there are some other interesting tidbits that I want to fill you guys in on. Conservation-wise, the fernbird is classified as declining. They were once abundant in wetlands and scrublands, but have declined due to habitat loss as a result of land clearance and wetland drainage for agricultural purposes, they still have a widespread, but unfortunately patchy, distribution. So, fern birds are typically thought of as wetland creatures that make their homes in palestrine wetlands, these are your typical inland areas like a swamp, riverine wetlands, these are connected to a channel of water like a river, and lacustrine wetlands those connected to lakes. This is definitely true for our mainland North and South Island species, however firm birds on Snares Island, where there is a lack of mammalian predators, actually inhabit forested areas. A high water-to-land ratio is associated with fewer mammalian predators, and the water also allows an efficient means of disposing of waste. Yes, bird poo. So, as not to attract predators via smell. Thus, the difference in habitat type between species of fernbird seems to be related to the degree of need for protection against predators. Certainly, mammalian predators are an issue for fernbirds, as they are with so many New Zealand bird species. There have been documented extinctions of fernbird populations on islands off the coast of Stewart Island as a result of rats and cats. When predators are successfully eradicated from islands, such as rats on codfish island, the number of fernbirds increase. Wetlands providing a degree of safety for those fernbirds birds that need it is a great thing, except that up to 90% of New Zealand's freshwater wetland cover has been lost due to humans repurposing the land. This is at the staggeringly high 98% loss in some regions. Research shows that fernbird numbers are significantly higher in areas of wetter vegetation where there is a low and dense understory of plants. The abundance of fernbirds is directly associated with the health and quality of the wetlands that they inhabit. Finally, an additional habitat requirement. Is the presence of slightly elevated sites such as shrubs that rise above the surrounding vegetation. We'll talk about why this is in the next section, all about breeding. Both parents are involved in nest building, incubating the eggs, and caring for their young. Because these roles are shared more or less equally, it places a similar amount of risk on both males and females in regards to predation. In species where one sex does most of the incubating, for instance, this gender is more likely to be killed by predation as they are sitting ducks, or sitting firm birds, for a longer period of time. Firm birds being at equal predation risk is better for the survival of the overall population as it maintains a balance in regards to the potential number of breeding pairs if females were preferentially wiped out then there will be a lot of males that couldn't pair up and breed each season this may be an important factor contributing to the fern bird's survival despite the challenges that it must face they produce your typical cup-shaped nest that is nestled among vegetation typically a meter or less off the ground in addition to things like reeds and grasses, they also line the nests with the feathers of whatever other birds are present in their environment. Nests can become damp in rainy conditions and put the eggs or chicks at risk of chilling to death when the parents are absent. This feather lining provides extra insulation and more waterproofing to reduce this risk. Snares Island fernbirds have also been shown to make some other modifications. In some circumstances, they build up a higher wall on one side of the nest that provides protection from prevailing winds. They can also craft woven ring-shaped bases to build their nests upon when the surrounding environment is unstable or if improved drainage is needed, such as in boggy areas. In these nests, fernbirds lay a median of three clutches per year consisting of three to four eggs. These eggs are mauve pink, and flecks with mauve brown to purple brown flecks. A cool thing here is that these flecks get paler with each subsequent egg, so if you found a nest, you'd be able to know the order in which they were laid. Adult fern birds use an elevated shrub as a signpost located within one to four metres of the nest, and will enter and exit this area by landing or taking off from that point. The duetting between males and females increases during nest building, or when eggs are broken or hatching, probably serving to coordinate their activities. Finally, in terms of looking after their young, Snares Island fern birds have been shown to have favourite children, or at least ones that they're responsible for looking after. When there is only one fledgling, it'll get fed by both parents. However, with two, parents will tend to one each. With three fledglings, the male will tend to take the bulk of the work and look after two. It takes a lot for these firm birds to feed another parent's favourite child. Listen to this account from Best, 1973. Male 11 brought some food to where his offspring was usually found. When he did not find his fledgling, he called softly. His mate's fledgling ran up and begged vigorously at him, but the male stood on tiptoe and peered about, calling loudly. When his chick still failed to appear, the male looked at the other, and after three seconds of hesitant movements, put the food into its gape. I know I'm anthropomorphizing, but I find the idea of a bird having a favourite child hilarious. <laughs> anyway, Now, let's talk about some other interesting tidbits related specifically to the Snares Island Firmbird. A A behaviour observed in Snares Island Firmbirds is that they will feed on only one prey type at a time, even when others are immediately available. They will then eventually switch to focusing on another prey type. This behaviour has been seen in other bird species as well and is thought to allow more efficient foraging as the bird can stick with one hunting technique at a time rather than having to change approach rapidly. Snares Island fern birds are also brave hunters and will feed on blowflies that are on or around sea lions. They will even get these from around the mouth area as the sea lions sleep, occasionally these fern birds will also need a sleep themselves, and will do so by nestling down into the thick, hairy mane of a sea lion. That's super cute. And for our final tidbit, the nests of Snares Island fern birds are actually at risk of damage from shearwaters, as they clamber up vegetation to gain height for takeoff, and either crash land with a failed attempt, or on their return. It's a tough life for a fern bird. <laughs> And there we go. That's episode 5 of the Bloobs podcast all wrapped up. If you enjoyed it, please consider sharing with another bird-loving friend. If you'd like to support me, you'll find me on Instagram at matt.rossella That's M-A-T-T dot R-O-S-S-E-L-L-A And or you can consider supporting me on Patreon at patreon.com slash blurbs 439. As always, thank you for listening. I can't wait to create another episode as I learn alongside you. So until next time, see ya. Dee 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 blurbs.